every, every Friday night is a couple degrees colder than the one before. But it's all good. It's not a beautiful night. So yes, my name is Bill Boyce. Uh, if I haven't met you, I am one of the PCF staff, and it's really good to be with you. I, I, this light is bright, but I can tell you're out there. Uh, tonight we are going to be talking about love, and um, that's a big word, a big concept. Um, as I've been thinking, I've been impressed by how complex that topic is for so many reasons and so many different ways uh, we all have of understanding love. Uh, but we're going to think about it in a particular way tonight, and that is this, that if you're here tonight as a Christian, as a follower of uh, Jesus Christ, I expect you already know how central love is to um, the Bible, how central love is to Christianity. And, uh, you know, for example, when Jesus was asked uh, what is the greatest commandment, uh, his response was, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Or the Apostle Paul uh, says that all of the commands that uh, describe how we ought to treat other people, these can all be summed up with one command, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus, uh, before he uh, was crucified, he gave to his followers what he said was a new commandment, that what? They should love one another. And uh, later he indicated that how Christians love one another is a powerful proof that we are genuine followers of him. Given these kinds of teachings uh, from Jesus, from the apostles, it should come as no surprise that there is something hugely wrong when Christians do not love one another and when Christians do not love their neighbor. Now these past few Friday nights, we've been looking at one of the New Testament letters. It's written by the Apostle John in our Bibles. It's called 1 John. And John makes this very point. His focus is particularly on the Christian community in this letter. And he says that those people who identify as Christians should not, cannot very well imagine that we genuinely love God, who we cannot see, should not imagine that we even know that God if we do not love our brother or sister who we can see. So this is very challenging. I mean, he makes this same point repeatedly in the letter, and he comes at it from different angles, but all of it amounts to him saying in a very uh, characteristically blunt way that you are not really a genuine Christian if you don't love your fellow Christian. So this is hard to hear, and it's important for us to wrestle with, because it seems to me that we are living in a time when many of us who call ourselves Christians do not love one another very well, if at all. And if we don't even love one another well, how can we with any 
claim to credibility say that we love God or with any credibility uh, pretend to love our neighbor who is not even a Christian. And so I'm going to read a short section from John's letter where he is, is uh, hammering us on this theme. And th this is from uh, chapter 4. He says this, uh, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So this is the word of God. Now, to be honest, I often find it harder <laughs> to love my fellow Christians than to love those who make no claim to be followers of Christ. And that's one reason... <laughs> That's one reason why I avoid social media. Um, for example, whenever I go onto Facebook, I usually come away angry. And um, because most of my Facebook friends are Christians, um, the people that I come away angry with are my brothers and sisters in Christ. Sadly, you know, many of the, the divisions in American culture today are also divisions in the church liberal, conservative, red, blue, vax, anti-vax, mask, no mask. I mean, we could just keep adding, adding to this list uh, for the rest of the night. And these divisions can make us angry with one another. They can uh, lead us to feel self-righteous in reference to one another and judgmental toward one another. They can make us embarrassed about one another frustrated by one another. And of course there are many other ways than this that Christians have not loved one another well. The history of hatred in the church on the basis of race and ethnicity is tragic. And there is ongoing need of attention and repair. Uh, a book that I was reading this afternoon uh, called One Blood Parting Words to the Church on Race and Love uh, by John Perkins. He writes this, There is a gaping hole in our gospel. We have preached a gospel that leaves us believing that we can be reconciled to God, but not reconciled to our Christian brothers and sisters who do not look like us. Brothers and sisters with whom we are, in fact, one blood, one common humanity. And so Christians, brothers and sisters, if you're here tonight as a, as, a, as a Christian, we need to hear these words. Let's begin with this. First, the text that I read affirms this. God is love. Love is from God. And, and that is why John would say that a person who does not love others does not really know God. As Christians, we need to begin here. 
We don't begin with thinking uh, about love, for example, as an evolutionary development or as some kind of a social construct. We don't look to, to the world to tell us what love is or how to love. We look to God because we believe that this thing called love originates in the essential character, in the very nature of God. Love begins with God. And so when God commands his followers to love one another, we need to look to him and listen to him and let him explain to us what that means. And this is so important because there are many different definitions and ways of thinking about love, uh, many that you're well familiar with in our culture, ways that may not be in line with what God tells us about love. And often we may be guilty, you and I may be guilty, of really drawing our definition and our understanding of love and what it means to love more from our culture than we do from the scripture. And we might even take the cultural definitions and, in a sense, read them into or impose them upon what the scripture itself is saying. So, for example, if I imagine that love means to only always unconditionally affirm another person in anything and everything that they desire and do, then I might begin to believe that when the Bible says God is love, I might begin to believe that, that God's love means that he is only always unconditionally going to affirm me in anything and everything I desire and do. But you know, that's my perspective on love. I think I'm in for a rude surprise from God. I mean, certainly you don't have to read any further than the Gospels to see that Jesus is more than willing to speak very uncomfortable truths to people and to call people to turn away from doing evil. And that he does so not because he hates them, but because he loves them. So love isn't, for example, first and foremost, unconditional affirmation of everything that I desire and do. God must define love for us if we are Christians. We don't define love for God. And so John tells us that love is from God and that God is love. And so I want to pay very close attention, right, when Scripture speaks about what love is and what it means when it commands me to love God and to love my neighbor. And in this text that I read a few minutes ago, John gives us two ways that God has shown us what love is, two ways that God has loved us, two ways that can help us understand what God is calling us to do when he calls us to love one another. The first is this, love, I think John is saying, is life-giving presence, life-giving presence. In verse 9, the text says this, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. And so when God purposed, John is saying, to demonstrate or to manifest, to show what his love is, he did so by taking human form, by becoming one of us. 
And we see this thread all through the New Testament. John, the Gospel of John chapter 1 speaks of how the Word, the eternal Word, who was with God, who was God, became what? Became flesh. Took on flesh and bone and dwelt among us. John 3, God so loved the world, speaking of the, the world of humanity, that he, he gave, he sent his only son into it. Hebrews 2, because we, you and I, are flesh and blood, he also partook, he shared, he took upon himself our humanity. The incarnation, God becoming human, is an act of love. Paul Miller has written a great book that some of you are familiar with uh, called Love Walked Among Us. Uh, and that title captures it all, that God in love became a human being. From beginning to end, Scripture teaches us that the God who created us is a God who desires relationship with us. He's a God who desires to be with his people and that his presence among his people is life. Let's think about love as life-giving presence. Presence, just think of that word. The incarnation is, is such an amazing mystery, right? God became man. I, you know, We're never going to entirely figure that out. But God dwelt among us. And, and what that is telling us is that genuine love, the love of God, longs to be present with the beloved. And then we're saying life-giving presence. Jesus said, why have I come? I have come that you might have life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved, rescued, through him. So those concepts must be an essential aspect of what it means for me and, and, and for you to love one another. In other words, am I eager to be with you as a life-giving presence? I mean, think about both of those. First of all, am I eager to be with others? Am I present? with my brothers and sisters? Do I show up? Uh, one of the negative impacts uh, we've all experienced from COVID is that in the interest of safety and public health, many churches stopped meeting in person. And one consequence, of course, is that some Christians developed uh, uh, their own private routines uh, for worship. Um, Christians are no longer gathering together in community. And I, I know one of the great joys that uh, we are all experiencing this year is that we are actually able to be together in ways that we weren't. But Debbie and I had a conversation with some Christians a couple of weeks ago. And in the course of the conversation, we asked uh, if they were planning to come back to church. And they said they weren't sure because... Well, they really enjoyed being able on a Sunday morning to get up and, you know, put on their headphones and go for a walk, you know, down by the lake and listen to praise music and watch services on the Internet. 
And we might say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, what's missing from that is this idea of presence with. How can I love my brothers and sisters if I'm not present with them? You know, the church, the family of God, the, the community of faith is not only about me and God and sort of my private relationship. It's about being part of a family, and it's, it's about being engaged and active and present as a, as a family member. And then we might ask, how am I present? Am I, am I with others? Even tonight, are, are you here because of what you hope to receive, of, of what you hope to get? Do, do I seek others out mainly for what they can give to me? Um, and, and if that's how I think about being with other people, then I'm not very likely, am I, to draw near to the weak or to the needy or to the suffering or to the difficult. And, and I, I won't be likely to draw near to others to, to bring them life, but I'm, I'm drawing near to them to get something I want, whether it's emotional support and affirmation or help and assistance with my problems or my interests or maybe even material benefits of some kind. How am I present with others? One of my daughters called a few weeks ago and just sobbing in tears because she had just suffered a cruel, a surprising loss. And she was feeling deeply injured and very alone. And in that moment, she called her dad because she, she needed to know that she was not alone, uh, that there was someone who loved her, uh, someone who would not desert her. And so she called me, her father, and, and I was able to be with her, to be present with her virtually, <laughs> how I wished I could have given her a big hug. But I was able to be with her in her suffering and to be present for her in such a way as to give her hope. God's love draws near to others, not to get from them, but to give to them, to give life, to give hope. What about us? Are we seeking to be that kind of life-giving presence to others? But secondly, John tells us here that love is sacrificial service. Notice in verse 10, he continues, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So John now presses further. He says that Jesus became a human being. He dwelt among us, not because we loved God. You know, when the Bible says God so loved the world, it's not because the world was so lovable. Not because we loved God. He didn't become a man just because he wanted to hang out. He didn't just want to be there or to be a good example, nor to teach us. I mean, he did all those things, but why he came to serve us to give himself for us sacrificially. And so the meaning 
of the incarnation of Jesus' presence on earth, we, we don't really begin to fully understand it until we get to the cross. Philippians, for example, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Or this verse, uh, Paul writes to the Corinthians, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Jesus himself said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And John in this epistle, he said, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. John is saying that we see God's love demonstrated supremely in Jesus' sacrificial, substitutionary suffering for us on the cross. Sacrificial, meaning that his, his love led him to suffer personally. He suffered death for our benefit. He gave himself for us. Substitutionary, meaning that he did, he did not deserve the suffering that he endured, but he chose to suffer for our benefit in our place as our substitute so that we would not have to endure that suffering. And that is at the very heart of the gospel. And this becomes the pattern for us, for how we are to love our fellow Christians, not for what we can get, not because they're so lovable, not merely tolerating them, certainly though not shunning them or reviling them, but giving ourselves sacrificially on their behalf, serving them sacrificially on their behalf. Godlike love, the, the love that we have experienced from God, calls each one of us to enter into the mess, to, to enter into the into the uh, suffering, to men enter into the pain that other people are experiencing, and to be willing to make sacrifices on their behalf. You know, back to my previous, uh, love says, you know, I'm going to church this morning, even though I'd rather stay home in my PJs, because there are people there who God wants me to love. Love is willing to suffer, and, and so love says, I, I'm going to love you even though I am not at all sure you love me. Why? Because God loved me when I certainly didn't love him. Love says, I'm going to forgive you even though you have injured me terribly. Why? Because God has forgiven me so much. Love is willing to give of what we have received generously, sacrificially, because Jesus, though he was rich, he became poor so that I might receive and benefit from the riches of God's grace. And we'll talk some more about this in the weeks to come, but brothers and sisters, 
what John is saying is we of all people ought to love one another. Why? Because we of all people ought to understand how we have been loved, not because we deserve it, but out of sheer grace we have been loved by God. You know, in a few minutes, I think we're going to hear an announcement uh, about an outreach to the campus that uh, we do every year called Questions for Quesadillas or Q for Q. Now, by its design, that is to be an outreach of Christian love to this campus. But tonight, what this text of Scripture is saying to us is that love for others needs to begin at home. It needs to begin in this community. This small part of God's global family, are we here loving one another well? Are we present in one another's lives in a life-giving way? Are we uh, building others up, encouraging and strengthening others in faith, in hope, in love? Are we loving one another sacrificially? Are we giving our time? Are we giving our resources? Are we giving our strength to serve one another in love? Are we doing the hard work? And maybe this is the hardest work of love. Are we doing the hard work of reconciliation? The hard work of seeking and granting forgiveness from one another? the hard work of extending the grace that we have received to others. Can we be that community where people look upon us and they wonder, wow, these people really love one another. I don't get it. They love one another with a kind of a care, with a kind of compassion, with a kind of a loyalty, with a kind of a patience with a kind of a long-suffering, with a kind of a, a self-sacrifice that I've never seen before. I wonder why. May that be so of us, brothers and sisters, love one another as God in Christ has loved you. Amen.